The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's message, we're finally coming down to the end of the book of Job. We're now in chapter 42, which details the latter end of Job. Although Job lost everything in his life, he never lost the love and favor of God. God indeed suffered these trials to come upon him for God's own reasons, but ultimately he was merciful and tender in his love for Job. Join us as we wind down this study of the book of Job, looking today at Job's answer and the mercies that he began to experience in the latter days of his life. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. In the
have been coming regularly um, on Wednesday nights know that we're coming down to the close of the book of Job. It's been a long journey, but it's been a very uh, enlightening and uplifting journey for me. As we approach the end of Job, we're in the 42nd chapter, the very last verse. We have learned some lessons from Job that I think should stick with us in life. Uh, Job is the oldest book of the Bible written according to the scholars. And I find it so interesting and actually just amazing that it deals with the very issues that we generally struggle with in life even today, the issue of suffering. And suffering when we don't understand the source of it. And suffering when it's overwhelming and being burdened down by the problems of life and the loss of loved ones and the loss of livelihood and that sort of thing. And we've seen Job go from the heights of blessing to the depths of the suffering and the attacks of Satan. We've learned that Satan is the one attacking him, not God. Even though all throughout the book of Job, both Job and his friends, but particularly his friends, say it's God that's doing this. And Job got to where he's saying, God's just not just because he's continually attacking me. And we know in this case that it's not God doing it. We see the book. We see the end of the book. We see the whole picture because God has pulled back the curtain through his inspired word and let us see it. So what we find is, is that Job now has come down to the end of this long, difficult time in his life. His miserable comforters have spoken. He's answered their attacks. He's called upon God to appear and God appeared. And we know that story. We know because we've been seeing it for the last few weeks that God came on the scene. And the first thing in chapter 38 he did is ask, who are you, Job? Who are you, friends out there? Who are you to question me and to, and to, to bring me to account and call me unjust? And then, then he says, who am I? Who am I? And let me tell you about who I am. And we saw this encounter with God, and it was something that was not just learning about God, it was an encounter with God. And he began to tell us some things about his, the majesty of his creation and the, uh, uh, how he cares for his creation. And, and, and then uh, he, begins, he responded last time we saw to the accusation by Job that God is unjust. And then he said, let me just point you to a couple of other examples, the behemoth and the Leviathan as the pinnacle of my creation. And now we come down to Job chapter 42. And this is Job's second response. He's already said one thing already in, in the middle of God's uh, discourse there. He said, I've spoken once, yes, twice, but I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth now. I've learned to keep my mouth shut in the presence of Almighty God and to not talk about things that are too glorious and too wonderful for me. And in verse 1 of chapter 42, we see the beginning of his second response, and it's his final response to God after God has come on the scene and asked him questions that he can't answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, 
but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So here we come to Job's final answer. And it's finally time for him to respond to God after God is through talking. And Job gives the exact right answer. Job gives the answer of repentance. You see, you remember we said at the beginning that patience, pride, and pity are the three of the great themes of Job. Well, now we see a fourth great theme, and that's repentance. Repentance. The last of these great themes of Job. See, the right answer before God is always the acknowledgement of His majesty and our sinfulness and repentance toward God. You remember what he said in Hebrews 6 and verse 1? We've been going through that in the book of Hebrews. And he said, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. But he begins to tell us what those principles are. He said, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and, and of faith toward God. Now, that's not the beginning of our life with God. But that's a result of God giving us life. The very first thing we should do is have repentance toward God, uh, repentance um, from dead works and faith toward God. That's, that's the right response. You know what baptism is? Baptism it is an answer. Brother Buddy's told us that many times. Baptism is the answer of a clean conscience. What's it an answer for? It's an acknowledgement of God's majesty and obedience to his word. He says, you should be baptized. He said, and the reason we're being baptized is to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith toward God are always the right answer, especially in circumstances like Job is in. And notice what he does. He, 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 in verse 2, he acknowledges the absolute sovereignty and majesty of God. And, and let me just say this. How could you not? In the face of what God has just done, he appeared in a whirlwind. And then he, he appeared in the whirlwind and started asking questions that only God can answer. You know, if Job could have answered any of those questions, he'd have been God. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. Where were you? Well, I was there with you, God. Oh, that means you are God. Job wasn't there with him. You know, there was somebody there with him. Jesus Christ was there with him. But Jesus Christ is God, you see. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Job wasn't there. Job wasn't there. I know that thou canst do everything, he says, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. God, you are God, and I am not. You remember, we've, we've said that so many times in this study that that's one of the most important principles to remember as we go about this, our daily walk. You know, if we could remember that, we wouldn't be frustrated when we're caught in traffic. We wouldn't be frustrated when things don't go our way. We wouldn't be frustrated when somebody, you know, acts ugly toward us. We'd, we'd respond to them in the way God said respond to them because we would remember, you know, he's God, I'm not. I don't have the right to be offended. You know, that's something that I think we should always remember, too. There are many times we wrong each other when we sin. But we only sin against God. You can't sin against an imperfect being. You can only sin against a perfect being. 
Remember what David said, Psalm 51, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this thing in thy sight. So in the face of God's majesty, Job did the only thing he could. He said, I know that you're every bit as majestic and awesome as you have said you are and as you appear to be. And he acknowledges that. And, you know, that's typical, isn't it? Isn't that typical? Every time we read about anybody coming into an encounter with God, there's nobody yet I've read about in the Word of God that when God appeared, especially when He appeared in His majesty like He did in the whirlwind here and, and the way He did on the Mount of Transfiguration before uh, uh, Peter and John, and, 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 and when, they, when God appears to somebody like that, nobody walks up to Him and says, Man, I've been waiting to see you. It is so good, old buddy, to be in your presence. I'm glad you're here. Let's go over here and reason about this issue that I've been struggling with. No, that doesn't happen, does it? That doesn't happen. It didn't happen with Job. And it's not going to ever happen with anybody. I'm telling you, you know, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, after the fall of Adam, you know, before that, Adam could walk in the garden with God. He didn't have a problem with when he'd hear God, he'd go, he'd run to him. But after the fall, after he became a sinful man, he ran away from God when he heard him. And it says, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The first two sinners didn't run to God. Didn't go to him and say, God, I've got this little sting of sin on me now. I need to, you to help me figure out how to get over it. If you'll educate me enough, I'll get through it. If you'll, if you'll just um, give me the chance to work through it, we can get better. No, they ran from God. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in that time of great trouble in Israel when the king Uzziah had died, he didn't say, oh man, it's, so, it's about time, Lord. <laughs> He said, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And what was the problem? He said, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Same thing that happened with Job, right? After Ezra recognized the sin of his people in taking strange wives from the pagans, and was confronted not with the presence of God in the literal sense, but with the majesty and justice of God in the sense of what he read in the law. He said he sat astonished for hours. And then he rent his clothes and he plucked out his beard and he began to repent in sackcloth and ashes. What did Simon Peter say when he first encountered the glory of Jesus? When Jesus came to him in Luke chapter 5 and was preaching from his boat. And then he said, now let down your nets on the other side. And the draught of fishes came up. What did Peter say? Wow, we've been waiting on you, Messiah. Come on and join our band and we'll help you do whatever you need to do. No, it's Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. <laughs> the great disciple John the apostle John the disciple whom Jesus loved he's we're told in the book of John when Jesus appeared to him in his glory in Revelation chapter 1 and he saw him he fell at his feet as dead my point is this Job gave the right answer finally <laughs> you know there was a bunch of questions he couldn't answer 
He couldn't give an answer to where, where, you, where were you, Job, when I created this world? Where were you when I did these things? Where, go, grab, go grab Leviathan and, and, and pull him in on a hook if you can. Job couldn't answer that. But what he could answer is the same answer that you and I can give as children of God, which is to hit our knees and acknowledge that God can do everything and no thought can be withholden from him and to repent in sackcloth and ashes. Now I want you to notice in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3 and 4, he repeats God's charge to him. Notice what he says. Who is he? I can just hear him say it. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? God asked him that. Remember back in verse chapter 38 and verse 2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? That's what God asked Job. I can just see Job say, with his head hung down saying, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Just shaking his head, repeating God's question. And here's his answer. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. In other words, I opened my mouth when I should have kept it closed. I should not have said the things I did because I did not know what I was talking about. And see, that's been the problem the whole time. I've told you before, you have to filter everything in the book of Job through who's talking. Elihu and Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar and Job, they all say some true things. They get some things right, and praise God, the 19th chapter of Job is one of the sweetest statements of the hope of eternal redemption through the Savior that's coming. But he gets so many things wrong. And Job says, you know, even though I knew a little bit, even though I had some knowledge, it was too wonderful for me, and I really didn't know what I was talking about. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare there unto me. I can see him shaking his head. That's repeating what God said. <laughs> He's saying, who is this that hideth counsel without knowledge? That's what you ask me, God. I just, I've talked too much. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I, I can't answer you, Lord. I can't answer you. And I believe verse 5 is the ultimate point of Job's experience here in this whole 42 chapters. Notice what he says. I have heard of thee. This is Job speaking to God. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. Child of God, there is nothing like the sufferings of this world to peel away all of the dross and all of the exterior and all the things that don't matter and get us down to the core of who we are where we can see exactly who God is. If you've been through that kind of suffering, you know what I'm talking about. I know our experience has not been anything close to what Job's was. But there's a reason James said in chapter 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's what he talks about, Job, James is the one that tells us later on that the, the summation of the book of Job in chapter 5 and verse 11 is that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. That's what we're seeing here. God's tender mercies, even in the midst of suffering, lead us to the understanding that we have really no knowledge of our own, but we have to depend completely on him. Notice he says, he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. You know, Job was a righteous man. That was part of that pride we're talking about. 
God had pride in him. God was proud of him, said he was a very righteous man, but God also knew he had pride that needed to be melted away, that needed to be torn away in the crucible of suffering. That's one of the primary reasons I believe God lifted the hedge or lowered the hedge, I should say, from around Job. He said, I have heard of thee. He, he had heard of God. He had read about God. He knew about God, but now he has seen God. Now mine eye hath seen thee. You know, I think about temptations and trials a lot because in that our continual experience here in this earth, in this sin-cursed world, a couple of places I want to go to. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 starts off with a reaffirmation of our election, the electing grace of God. Elect, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God. He's writing to the strangers scattered throughout certain areas of the, the earth in that day. But in, in a real sense, he could be writing to the strangers scattered all abroad the earth today. That's where we are, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, here's something to remember, something to hang your hat on. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't see a place for man in there, do you? It's all of God. And then he talks about how God, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about the lively hope we have and the inheritance we have and how we're kept in verse 5 by the power of God. But notice now in verse 6, it says, Wherein you greatly rejoice. And talking about in our salvation, our eternal salvation. Wherein we greatly, you greatly rejoice, though, even in the midst of our rejoicing, there's a though. Though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I don't know about you. That describes my existence daily. That describes me to a T. I rejoice in the eternal redemption that's only found in Christ Jesus, but for a season I'm in heaviness, I'm downcast, I'm struggling through the manifold temptations of life. But notice what he tells us about those, those sufferings. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the trial that's precious. It's not the trial that's found unto praise and honor and glory. It's the faith. It's your faith, you see. In the midst of the trial of your faith, your faith is much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. You know, gold that's melted down is a purer substance, right? Well, your faith that's melted down in the and the trials of this world is more precious than that gold. Though it be tried with fire, the, it, that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's admonishing us and encouraging us to stay faithful, to just continue keeping on, keeping on. That's what patience is all about. And you remember, that's the other theme of Job. Patience. You have heard of the patience of Job, James tells us in James 5.11. Uh, and, and, and it says that, and you've seen the end of the Lord. And we're about to see that here, that he is very pitiful and of tender mercies. But patience is about keeping on, keeping on. It's not sitting back and waiting. 
sit there and be patient and twiddle your thumbs. It's keeping on, keeping on, keep on working, keep on doing what you're doing, serving the Lord. And that, that faith that is exercised thereby is more precious than gold. Verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Notice that he's not talking there about keep on working so that he can give you salvation one day. That, he said it's just the end of your faith. And by the way, isn't that glorious to think that faith ends? <laughs> faith ends one day. Faith ends. Faith has ended for those of our loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. Faith will end for us one day when we go to be with Him. Faith will end for all of God's children when He comes back one day. And the end of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Ultimate deliverance from this world, you see. The ultimate point of Job's experience here, I believe, is that now, for the first time, instead of just hearing about God... Instead of just reading about God, and listen, he'd had an experience with God because he was born again. I, I'm not talking about that. He already had the new birth. He already had the Spirit of the Lord dwelling in, in him because that's, that's what the new birth gives us is a new creature within us. But there's a difference in being born again and being transformed by an experience with God himself. You see, that's what is happening in Job. Job had all these great deeds he was a big man he was uh, very important you know he had risen to the heights of respect in his community people looked to him people listened to him you know he was in a position of authority and if we're not careful all that will come become so important to us that it obscures what's most important in life you know i don't have i don't have any trouble Casting my, all of my cares upon God when I'm in the midst of struggle and trial. The times that I have trouble is when I'm experienced prosperity. Somebody said one time that a nation, many nations can endure adversity, but they just can't survive prosperity. <laughs> that's a pretty good thought, isn't it? Because that's my case as a, you know, there's, I believe there's a reason the Lord didn't make me a, millionaire or a billionaire he knew i couldn't handle it <laughs> due to the constraints of time we will stop the message here but please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message if you would like to subscribe to our website please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates if you have any questions please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.